Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team welcome to the hot stove going and going goodbye baseball nelson cruz on 710 espn seattle 710 sports.com and the 710 seattle sports app the kings one two swing and a miss he gets them whiffing on a changeup. let's fire up the hot stove and talk some mariners baseball here's your host rick riz Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Hot Stove Baseball. We are just two weeks, just two weeks away. How about that? From pitchers and catchers reporting down to sunny, warm Peoria, Arizona for the start of the 2018 spring training season. Hi again, everybody. I'm Rick Riz. Welcome to Hot Stove. I'm along with uh, Mike Blowers, Gary Hill, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen. We have a great two hours of Mariners baseball to talk with you about. In the first hour, we're going to visit with Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto. A lot to talk about with the uh, GM of the ball club. Also, Tyler Kepner from the uh, uh, New York Times is going to join us. He's been covering the national baseball scene for the last uh, eight years or so for the Times, and prior to that, covering the Yankees and the Mets. He spent a year here in Seattle with the Seattle Post-Intelligencer back in 1999, one of the great writers in the game of baseball. Second hour, we're going to visit with Mariners pitching coach Mel Stottlemyre Jr. has done an absolutely amazing job uh, with his pitching staff, 40 I'll say it again, 40 different pitchers last year, a major league record. And Mel and I would look at each other and go, who's coming in today, Mel? And he'd bring them in and get them in. The culture was there ready for so many players to come in, pitchers to come in and, and get involved and try to keep the ball club in contention last year. Also going to visit with the big lefty from Ladner, uh, James Paxton, in the second hour as well. In between, we'll have our trivia questions. So, a lot of baseball tonight. Gary Hill, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks. Good Great to be here. here. I can't wait to quiz uh, Mel about uh, how many starters he can name from last year. <laughs> <laughs> can he get all 40? 17 and uh, 40 different pitchers. But uh, it, was a, it was an incredible year. And, Mike, it was really amazing with so many pitchers and 64, 65 players overall, 17 different guys on the disabled list, how long they were in contention with so many injuries. Well, I think that you have well, you have to give a number of people credit for that, I mean, starting with the players, but you mentioned Mel. He had the bulk of the work because of all that. He and Scott constantly having to figure things out. And, and you know, it's, it's amazing to me. People were asking me last year, and it was probably just after the break, and as you mentioned, they were just keep hanging in there. And I just kept shaking my head because it was something that, if you would have told me this was going to be the case, not possible, no chance. This right. is going to be a, really a miserable year, I would have thought, going into it. So I think you have to give them a lot of credit with the way they continue to fight. I think Scott deserves a lot of credit to keep these guys on task, focused, 
Don't worry about it. They kind of got this culture of, we know this is what it is. We're yeah. not going to worry about we're that. We're just with it. we're going to deal with it and go play, and yeah. and we'll and we'll figure out the next step after that. And that's kind of the way it went. But um, eventually, when you have that many pitchers, it's going to catch up to you because you, because nobody is that deep. I don't care who you are or what you have going on. And, and that's what happened. It ended up getting to the end of the season, and it was just too much uh, for those guys. But I give them credit to hang in there as long as they did. Exactly. With Felix hurt a couple of times on the disabled and Paxton a couple of times and many other injuries, of course, as well, it was the Sam Gavilios of the world, the Christian Bergmans. Uh, Great stories. Emilio Pagan, yeah. uh, the Casey Lawrences, uh, Andrew Albers, who was absolutely unbelievable when he showed up uh, from the, the Braves organization. And they stepped in here, Gary, and, and kept this thing afloat to the point where with about two, two and a half weeks left in the season, the Mariners, for a day or two, held on to that second wild card spot. You know, it's amazing to look back on because if you would have said before the season that Edwin Diaz would throw the fifth most innings of any pitcher on your roster, yeah. you would have wondered, I mean, how would that how would that be possible right. at, at 66 innings? But that, to your point, I mean, the, a lot of different guys got the ball. A lot of different guys had to step up. And, and it's amazing to look back on all the different names, all the different pitchers we saw last year. Yeah, we talked about uh, on the on the caravan the other day. Somebody mentioned a pitcher, and I said he pitched for us last year. <laughs> I, yeah. I could remember Tyler Cloud's name. I, I don't. Do you remember Tyler Cloud? Well, he he pitched very well for for a few outings, but uh, that that was the case last year. Speaking of the caravan, Mike, you went on the caravan. I did. Made my trip over to Eastern Washington. It was a lot of fun. Um, was over in Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, for a little bit, um, and then worked our way back and saw a lot of fans. It was it was great and. Yeah. You know, did normal stops, and, and um, Marco Gonzalez was on the trip. He was he was terrific the whole way. Um, so there was there was a number of guys out there that did just a great job. But it was it was kind of a, it's it's an annual thing for me now. I love going over to the east side of the state, so it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we've been doing it for over 30 years, taking the players and the broadcasters out and about throughout mm-hmm. the state of Washington, north of the border, where I went to Vancouver, British Columbia to uh, Mount Vernon, also Bellingham, and we'll go south down to Vancouver, Washington, and Portland, Oregon. And I had uh, James Pazos with me and Kyle Lewis. Oh, man. I'll and Mike what. Marjama. Taylor Motter was with us for a few days, yeah. too. And, and of course, the Mariner Moose is the biggest hit of, of anybody <laughs> wherever we go, you know, visit with the kids and talking about the dream team, you know, stay drug-free and respect yourself and others' education, have a great attitude and motivation. I made a rookie and, mistake, Rick. Oh, no. What would you do? We were in the school, and the kids were excited. Here comes the moose, and it gets them all riled up, and yeah. they're going. And I was the first one to have to speak. Ooh. Oh, good luck after that. Yeah, it took a little while, but they finally calmed down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the, but, then, but, then, but then, of course, the moose gets up and starts dancing again, so it's all over with, and I go have a seat and get out of his way. Exactly. You know, the moose is He's very popular. Good. And I, I tell you what, i got to give a lot of credit to uh, Sean Grindley. Yeah. Uh, Demetrius. Yes. Staff is terrific. Corey. And uh, Gina Hassan and uh, everybody associated with the community relations department. What a great job they do. For three weeks, they're on the road bringing Mariners baseball to everybody. We visit with our affiliate radio stations all over the place. Uh, uh, we, I went to Vancouver's, uh, the station up there, and to uh, Bellingham and Mount Vernon. And these folks are so appreciative of what, uh, you know, we're appreciative of what they do for us. You know, uh, you know, carrying our ball games uh, throughout the Pacific Northwest. So it's that's a, a wide team. region, Mariner baseball in the mm-hmm. fan base, it and it's nice to get out there and, and see people that maybe can't get to the game on a regular basis, and but are big fans, and we get a chance to go out. and I love the Q and A stuff, and we get yeah. to talk to them yeah. about the team and and all those different things. It's a lot of fun. All the families we met uh, 
there was a gentleman, his wife, and two little girls, and they say, you know, we love Mariners baseball, and uh, we, I think we met him up in uh, Bellingham. So we come down about three or four times a year, and I said, thank you so much. We, we, we really appreciate it. And they, they were thankful that, that uh, we were there. Uh, we got a few more minutes here before we get to Jerry Depoto, but Edgar Martinez. I, yeah, I was disappointing. Uh, I thought, I, you know, a few months ago I thought, okay, it's going to be kind of tough. Because for some reason, these writers still have this bias against the DH. I don't get it. It's been around for 45 years. Get over it. You know, you have the best center fielders in the game, in the Hall of Fame, the best first baseman, the best shortstop, on and on and on. Put the best DH in the history of the game of baseball in the Hall of Fame. Edgar, toward the end, fell a little bit shy, 70.4% of the vote, needing 75. He's trending about 80%, 81%. And I thought, okay, this is going to happen. This would be great for Poppy to get in. But still... Mike and Gary, there's this bias over the DH, and I, I was thankful that Tracy Ringlesby, for years not voting for Edgar, finally voted for Edgar Martinez this year. But he's going to get in for sure next year. Yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, we were all disappointed this year, but I, I think that with the progress that he has made, Gary, and it's something that I talked to Shannon about a few weeks ago before we knew what was going to happen. Um, it sure is encouraging for him. I'm sure disappointing that, especially when you're that close right, to it, yeah, you know, and, right on the and you've been step. waiting. Yeah, but it's going to be another year, but I think he gets in next year. I think so, too. I mean, you look at the the past out of the last 20 that reached over 70%, all but Jim Bunning got in the next time, yeah. and Bunning ended up getting in anyway. But I don't think there's any question. What, what's been great to see is big picture, disappointing he didn't get in, but the momentum that he has going and oh, the, the big two, jump years, he's yeah. made the last two years is uh, it's too bad we have to wait a year. At the same time, we get to talk about him for another year in anticipation yeah. of him yeah. getting in because I think it is going to happen next year. And I've already heard uh, a couple of voters talk about voting for him next year, and they didn't vote for him this year. I think he's going to clear it by quite a bit because you look at the new class coming in too. Mariano Rivera is going to be in. He's a first ballot guy, but after that, there's uh, holidays coming on, which he'll get some votes and Helton and some other guys like that. But Edgar may get the second most votes. I mean, there's not a big class coming in that's going to suck up a lot of votes. So I think he's in great shape. I've got many reasons why Edgar should be in the Hall of Fame. But when he goes in next year with Mario, that's going to be great. The reason he should be in the Hall of Fame is Edgar Martinez hit 611 with damage <laughs> against Mariano Rivera. Everybody else blow Gary, Kevin. Hit about a buck seventy off of Mariano Rivera. But yeah, that's yeah. one big reason. Greatest reliever all time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, I've said it many times with Gar. You, you, you go through and you see numbers and players and different things that are going on. But the one thing that we all know about Edgar, you can talk about the big moments, but he is the one when you had your best on the opposite side, he would still beat them consistently. Exactly. And I think that says a lot. It's not just about putting together stats and, and numbers across right. the way. It's because he did it at the, at the most important time, and I saw it time and time again. You saw it firsthand, 1995, October, biggest hit in the history of the franchise, a double down the left field line. Edgar Martinez is in it. I, I, I can see his response the other day. Oh, that's okay. I'll get in next year. <laughs> you know, he is so humble. I love this guy. Poppy, we love you. You're going to be there next year, and we're going to be there in Cooperstown, I hope to uh, see Edgar go in next year. Anyway, the Hot Stove League show is underway. We're going to visit with the general manager of the ball club, Jerry Depoto. very busy again this offseason. We'll be back with the GM, Jerry, right after this. Time out. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. 
Uh, the hot stove is heating up. First hour is underway. Rick Riz along with Mike Blowers, Gary Hill, producer engineer Kevin Kremen. Spring training just a few weeks away down in Peoria, Arizona. He feels the, the warmth of the sun already. Our first guest is Mariners general manager, Jerry DePoto. Jerry, thanks for stopping by tonight. We appreciate it. Oh, it's a joy to hear your voice. <laughs> it's a joy to hear yours as well. I know you got to be uh, anxious to get down to Peoria. When when do you leave for Peoria's? Uh, we, my wife and I drive down actually, so we'll leave a uh, we'll leave a week from Tuesday and take a couple of days to get down there, and then have our kickoff meeting and get rolling. All right, I know your phone has been. Uh, uh, you know, ringing off the hook, you're as busy as any GM in baseball over the last two-plus years putting this ball club together. Jerry, it has been very busy for you. How, how set is the ball club in your mind as you get ready for uh, spring training in just a few weeks? Uh, about as set as, as I would expect a team to be, at least a team that I've been with in January, uh, to, which is to say that as the season begins, we're fairly confident that, that the group that we're going to send out there on opening day is already in the Mariners uniform, and and we're going to size it up as we go. Like, we understand that we're an imperfect team and that we have flaws, but we also have a great deal of strength, and, and we're going to let our guys take off and, and see where they go, and, and if they need help, that's what we're there for. We'll, we'll provide it if uh, if needed, but very confident in this group of players and excited about what they can accomplish. We were talking about the pitching in the first segment, Jerry, and, and just how many pitchers you had to go through last year. It was one of those crazy things in this game, and, and nobody could have that much depth, but you kept having to work at it. And, and so I'm just looking at the pitching this year going into camp. Um, a young man that was on the, the caravan with me, um, just a, a great kid. I'm really curious about him, and that is Marco Gonzalez. Can you talk about Marco a little bit? We ended up going back to Gonzaga where, where he pitched, and um, but he was intriguing to me. And I know last year you talked a little bit about um, pitchers in today's game becoming more athletic, and he seems to be along those lines. Oh, he really is. And you hit on it, Blow, just a great kid. He's a Marco's – he's a young guy by baseball standards. He's, he's in his mid-20s. He's just now getting his first crack at, at really cutting through the big leagues. Through no you know, fault of his own, obviously went down with a Tommy John surgery and, and missed all of, roughly all of the 2016 season, and his 2015 was really abbreviated. So last year was his first year back. This is a, a, a number one draft pick, a former All-American out of Gonzaga, who went on to become the number one prospect of the St. Louis Cardinals and, and wins the trivia question for who leads the Seattle Mariners in, in career wins in the postseason. Marco Gonzalez. Uh, Marco has had an interesting journey. uh, What we've seen since he's returned from Tommy John is is an increase in his velocity. Uh, Last September, we saw him up to 94 miles an hour. His his average velocity was right about 92 miles an hour, which is is up from where he was pre-Tommy John. His changeup has always been an out pitch, and, and frankly, when we saw him at his best, toward the tail end of last season for that final four or five weeks, his changeup was dynamic. And he's got a curveball that he can throw for a strike at any point in the count and a cutter that I think we are, we did not see in 2017, but is uh, the, the ideal is that it's reintroduced in the mix this year. And very confident that the second year outside of Tommy John, that we'll see an uptick in, in Marco's confidence, his command, and his his willingness to throw his whole repertoire. And, 
and when he does, he's, he's quite good. And, and we feel like there's there's upside to Marco. This is his time, and we're going to give him a chance to run with it. Do you anticipate there there being any limitations on him after coming back? As you mentioned last year, um, topping out at 94 really looked good. But is there limitations going into this year for him? No, you know, we, will, we won't get crazy with it. We're not looking for Marco to throw 200 innings. We, we've not yet sat down to define whether there's going to be a hard innings cap. And frankly, we haven't done that with, with many or any of our pitchers in the time that I've been here, but rather take it as we go. In Marco's case, he did throw a, a considerable number of innings last year between Memphis and Tacoma and Seattle. So we're going to be a little more conservative than we would say with Mike Leake, but not so conservative that we won't allow him to experience a 30-start season if that's what he's able to deliver. You mentioned velocity with Marco. It's amazing to look at the bullpen and see the velocity that the bullpen is going to offer. It's a long list of guys with big arms. How excited are you about the bullpen you put together and the versatility they offer as well? Uh, we love our bullpen. You know, from Edwin Diaz to I think is one of the most experienced and successful group of setup guys in the league with with Nick Minson and David Phelps and Juan Nicasio. To, to a pair of lefties, one in Mark Zipchinski, who's got a history of getting the lefties, and one in James Pazos, who's got one of the highest average fastball velocities among lefties in the league. And then a host of young guys, and guys like Dan Altavilla and Nick Rumbelow and Tony Zick, who, who can really make a difference for us, both in adding depth at the, the back end of our bullpen and multi-inning capability, particularly in the, in the cases of Altavilla and Rumbelow. It's a deep group. Uh, we're excited about that group, and frankly, we're excited about what that group can do for our starting rotation because you know, everybody's going to have a hickey, and the starting rotation for us, I know, is the question mark that, that many would like to see answered. We, we can't answer that in, in January, but hopefully as we get you know in, into the April, June, August period of the seasons, we're going to have answers, and, and some of that's going to come from our bullpen and how much they can augment that group. Jerry, uh, recently Baseball America talked about everybody's farm systems and the Mariners were way down there going into the season. But I thought to myself, wait a second. You know, Jerry DePoto used this farm system over the last couple of years to acquire a Ben Gamble, who for a short time last year was leading the American League in hitting. He acquired Mitch Haniger. He acquired Gene Segura. He acquired uh, James Pazos, D. Gordon this year, Ryan Healy, Marco Gonzalez, Mike Leake, Taylor Motter. David Phelps, Rosmo Ramirez, and I'm leaving out probably seven or eight other guys. You did a great job, you know, helping the big league roster out. What what would you like to tell people about the farm system? There's still a lot of talent there. I was with a kid, Kyle Lewis, on the caravan. I thought you did a heck of a job two years ago. One went away from getting the playoffs, and amazingly you hung in there as long as you could last year with all those injuries. You know, I, I, I think – we understand, and, and none of us is, is looking at Baseball America like their judgment is unfair. We happen to disagree with it, mm-hmm. but we understand we don't have the best farm system in the league in terms of talent depth. Uh, and frankly, none of us is sitting here trying to argue that, that we belong outside of the back third of the league. But we have turned our talent, our minor league talent, into a lot of minor league wins, a fair number of trades. You know, frankly, what we know is, is – kind of a record-setting number of trades. And that's, that's not something to hang your hat on, but it has produced a lot of major league value for us. There's a lot of ways to, to develop a system. And at the end of the day, the one thing I know that you're going to be measured on is what you're doing at the major league level. And 
you know, we're, we're happy with the team we've been able to put together. We've got younger, more flexible, more athletic, more, and really more controllable. And this is a group of players we feel like can stay together for a number of years. And that was the goal. And frankly, it's what we've talked about for the last two plus years. And, you know, I guess the one thing I would say to, to the fans that are listening, we love prospects. I know it seems hard to believe with, with what we've done, but whether it's Kyle Lewis or Evan White, Julio Rodriguez or Sam Carlson, Art Warren, et cetera, we feel like there are guys in our system who are going to make an impact. Uh, there are still players here that are going to play for the Mariners for a long time. And part of what we were trying to do was set up a window where we could compete at a high level, uh, put ourselves in position to, to enter a postseason in Seattle and allow ourselves the time to regrow our minor league system. It's, you know, it's, it's over the last two plus years, we've somehow managed to be productive at the minor league levels mm-hmm. while not necessarily registering high on the, on the prospect meter. And, and I think that will change. It's not going to change in two months, but hopefully over time it will. I have great faith in both our development and scouting systems and, and believe that we'll get the, that ship turned around similarly to the way I think we've been able to churn a roster at the big league level. Exactly. You've done a great job visiting with Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. We're going to be back with Jerry here in Hot Stove right after these messages. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hello again, everybody. The time is now to join the club as a Mariners season ticket holder. Lock in the best seats at the best prices to catch all of the action at Safeco Field in 2018. For more information on the many benefits you're going to enjoy as a season ticket holder, log on to Mariners.com slash 18. Uh, opening day for spring training is February 23rd, the start of the Cactus League season. The Mariners and the San Diego Padres. The home opener is going to start early March the 29th at Safeco Field against Cleveland Indians. Visiting with Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. Jerry, talking about the Cleveland Indians, you made your Major League debut. In 1993, as a Cleveland Indian, how has spring training changed since you were a young pitcher coming up with uh, with the Indians? Wow. I, I would say maybe the most notable change outside of the venues, which I'm, I'm sure yeah. Blow will attest to. Yes, <laughs> I will. Clubhouse <laughs> Yeah, we, we were. I, I was born as a as a major league prospect at Old High Corbett Field in Tucson with uh, let's call it dank and, and particularly stinky major league <laughs> version of the Cleveland Indians uh, clubhouse environment. But, uh, sort of like the movie. It, was, it really was. Uh, and you know, we had a, we had one folding table with a, a couple of boxes of cereal and a, and a and I think some Dunkin' Donuts was our spread. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, the thing that really strikes me most is the, the difference in how young players are, are assimilated into Major League Camp. You know, whether it be the media's expectation, the media's awareness of who that player is when they get there, or the veteran players in the room and how they handle that young player, it's changed considerably through the years. Where, you know, as a, as a for instance, a young player – and, and it's probably not a great example this year because we have so many of our young players who've already experienced the big leagues. But a guy like Kyle Lewis or even Evan White will walk into a major league clubhouse, and virtually everybody in that clubhouse knows who he is. And you know, I would say I was in my second major league camp. 
before the manager even knew me by more than my number. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, that's probably the biggest, that's the biggest difference to me is, is you know, you're in, in major league camp now, the young players, the way we, we assimilate them so early, the way the veteran players really take them under, under the wing and roll with them. And it's, uh, it, it used to be the young players stood in left field and shagged. You, you did what you were told to do until the day they sent you out. And now it is much more like they're a part of the team from day one. And I think that's a very positive change. When you, when you talk about those things, Jerry, one of the things that, that was, was interesting to me listening to you is you look at the information in today's game. And obviously you know this stuff inside and out. And as somebody that was on a major league mound, the amount of information you would have in today's game, would that benefit you so much more? Do you ever think back on it? Boy, if I had all this stuff now, I would have been a better pitcher or I would have been able to do X, Y, Z, or I could have extended my career because of this information. And after you answer that question, um, just how do you guys deal with information to the guys in the clubhouse? Because everybody is so different. Well, I'll answer the first question first. I do think that, you know, for me personally, I had a chance to really help me in understanding what the other player may have, the areas in which he excelled. Mm. It used to be that the way you found out was just one-on-one matchup, and after somebody punched you in the face often enough, you you realized what they were good at. Right, now I get it. (laughs) Or you were just, yeah, or you were going, I had the great benefit, unfortunately it wasn't until my fifth year in the league, that I had a chance to play with Billy Swift in Colorado and you know Swifty like me was a sinker baller and and he gave me some insight into what the the opposing player might be looking for (laughs) there were it was very unique and and you know I will say this I've often referenced it it took me easily 10-12 plate appearances with with Sammy Sosa before I figured out I don't think I can throw this guy low fast. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work out well yeah. for me. And, and, and I think more importantly, what we now know of the information is the game in the game is, uh, you know, during my, my national league career, I played for you know a couple of managers for a length of time, Don Baylor and Dallas green. I bet they would have liked to have had that information in its fullest because they maybe wouldn't have used me against Sammy Sosa in those opportunities. <laughs> it's a, my strength matched up against his, and he was just better than I was, which is not a, a great thing. But, you know, the way we use it today, Blo, is each player is a little different. They each learn a little differently, and some want more information than others. It's, some guys like to play free. They don't want to know what's coming. They don't want to know what the tendencies are. They just want to react. And, and some guys, the more information you can give them, the better. I, I had the great, really, pleasure of, of advanced scouting for the 2004 World Series and, and providing Kurt Schilling with information. Who was, he could drink it up as, as fast as you could give it to him. Similarly with Jason Veritek back with the Red Sox. You know, we have some players. I guess a great example for us is Gene Segura. Gene is a reactionary player. He goes out there. He's an athlete, and he just plays. And he learns from doing. And, and I don't think either one of those is better than the other. You just have to understand who you're dealing with and then feed them the way that they need to be fed rather than the way you want mm. to feed them. With all the information, is there an advantage for the hitter or more of an advantage for the pitcher? Uh, you know, I, I think it depends on, on which end you're looking at. When they first come to the big leagues, I always think that the pitcher has the advantage. And, and maybe that's biased because when you come to the league, the rest of the league, they can be told what pitches you have. But as Mike might you know, attest to, it, 
I could tell you a guy has a sinker, and it could be a running fastball or it could be Kevin Brown. You know, there, there are many different types of action on a ball that you just don't know until you get in the box. And, you know, I always think the first time through the pitcher, because the hitter's never seen him, has an advantage. And, you know, the, there's I don't want to say that the hitter isn't quite capable. The best hitters in the world will react to the pitch they see in the moment. But most of the hitters, even the, the, the great hitters of all time, I feel like if they see you two and four and six times, they start to gain the advantage because you're going to have to change it up to adapt to their program. So I always thought that that, that first time through or the, you know, the first two times you face a hitter, you've always got him at a disadvantage because he doesn't know which way you're going to go. But then the, the tides turn pretty quickly. Visiting with Mariners general manager Jerry DePoto here on Hot Stove and and Jerry, the ball club, as you talked about, is is pretty well set going into the spring. But you're going to have a chance to take a look at a lot of the young players at spring training. There's always seems to be a great story of of a young player, you know, really opening up a lot of eyes. What young players do you really want to take a look at uh, here in the next uh, few weeks coming up at spring training in Peoria? Well, you know, I, I think for starters, Braden Bishop who really had a breakout year last year for us. We've always known that Braden could run and could play defense. And last year we saw him make so much progress with his offensive approach and, and results, frankly. So he, he performed very well after he was promoted to double A. And you know, a local guy went to the University of Washington and, and now gets to his first major league camp. It'll be fun to see what he does or how he reacts as a non-roster invitee. Uh, among the rostered players, I'm very curious to see where Max Posey is. And Max, obviously, last year had a rough go and a very brief experience in the big leagues. And you know, I and this one's a little selfish for me. I feel very guilty about the year that Max had because I rushed him. There's we were in need, and and I pushed him into a bullpen role. We moved him two levels from Double A to the big leagues, and and threw him into the mower blades. Max Posey is better than people realize. And it's a, he was pushed into an unfortunate situation out of need, and that's my fault. So I'm, I'm curious to see where he is physically, where he is emotionally, and how he responds to the challenge of moving back into the starting rotation. And among the new guys, I'm really curious to see Nick Rumbelow. Nick is a young guy we acquired similarly to, you know, as Rick talked about at the start, James Pazos and Ben Gamble. Uh, you know, the Yankees, I guess, wealth of prospects has turned into a benefit to us, and, and hopefully Nick Rumblow is next in line. Great stuff. He's going to pitch this year at 26 years old, and very excited to see what he brings to the table. Jerry, we want to thank you for joining us tonight. We can't wait uh, for the start of spring training. Still going to have the morning get-togethers where everybody gets to know each other in the clubhouse and find out their talents as well, because I thought that worked very well before the guys took the field. Oh, it's great. It's actually one of my favorite things that Scott does. And, and uh, you know, funny, I speak to you now. I'm on the road. We, we Scott, myself, a couple of our, our front office personnel, Jeff Kingston, Andy McKay, and Lorena Martin, spent the last couple of days with uh, with some of the, the folks from the Houston Rockets. Uh, we were actually there last night to watch a, a, a really career game for James Harden, who, for those NBA fans, it was an unbelievable night to watch a one-man show. But uh, visiting with the, the Rockets last night, talking about you know cultural development and, and how, how they and how we uh, try to develop environment and, and in that clubhouse. And, and I think Scott does a phenomenal job of connecting with the players and early on in the spring. And one of the things that, that 
this offseason, because we have made fewer additions than in past years, we're creating challenges for Scott. He's going to have to come up with people. And <laughs> yeah, there's a pretty good chance that, yeah. that, you know, Gary, Rick, you might, you might be up there in the morning interviews talking to, talking to Scott for the entertainment of our veteran players. But it keeps it nice and loose, and everybody yeah. has so much fun with it, and I don't think that will ever go away. Well, it was a great way to start the day, a great way for so many guys from other organizations to get to know each other in the Mariners organization. Jerry, thanks for joining us tonight. We'll uh, see you real soon. Can't wait to get down to Arizona, buddy. Always a pleasure, fellas. Thank you. Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto. We're going to be back with uh, writer Tyler Kepner from the uh, New York Times. We'll be back with Tyler as Hot Stove continues right after this. We are back. Welcome to Hot Stove. First hour of two. Talking Mariners baseball. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill, Mike Blowers, producer engineer Kevin Kremen. And now we want to thank uh, Jerry DePoto for joining us here in the first hour. Now we have a chance to visit with one of the outstanding writers in the game of baseball. Tyler Kepner has been the national baseball writer for the New York Times since uh, 2010. He's been a beat writer for the Mets, the Yankees. He's covered the Angels and also the Mariners back in 1999. For the Seattle PI, Tyler, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, we appreciate uh, uh, you hopping on Hot Stove. And tell me a little bit about, you know, the Hall of Fame. Edgar Martinez missed out by 20 votes. The New York Times and the Los Angeles Times, your paper doesn't allow you to vote for the Hall of Fame. Tell us why. That's right, yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd, uh, first of all, it's good to be with you, Rick, um, I, uh, and all the guys. I, I'd, I'd love to be able to vote. Um, I think about it a lot. I write about it a lot. But, um yeah, the paper's policy is, is there's a few of them. You mentioned the L.A. Times and some others, but they they say that they um, they want the writers to report on the news, period, and not be part of the news, and they feel like every year um, the Hall of Fame comes around, uh, the writers themselves are newsmakers in the sense that they are the ones who put these guys in the Hall of Fame, and their votes uh, you know, are uh, are part of the news, and they don't want us to be part of the story, so um, that's their rationale, and, and uh, I just uh, abide by it. But, uh, yeah, Edgar would have had another vote if, uh, if I had been. Okay. <laughs> that's what I was going to uh, ask you. I was going to give you a, a, a ballot right now with Edgar Martinez's name on it, and would you check it off? So the answer is yes. I would. I, and I would, uh, you know, I still think, even though the writers have been putting more uh, more Hall of Famers the last few years, I still think this, this most recent era is a little underrepresented. Um, so I would fill out uh, the maximum 10 spots, and uh, – yeah, I would have given one to Edgar. Um, I, I, I would have put Gary Sheffield on there, too. He's kind of my cause. Um, I, I don't think he gets enough attention um, for how great he was. Uh, you know, but, but the others you know, would, would be the, 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 the top guys everybody else filled out, really. Uh, Guerrero and Hoffman, um, you know, Tommy Jones, Messina Schilling. I would go Bonds and Clemens as well, and, um, and Edgar. And I think uh, with Sheffield, and I think that might be ten. I think that's ten. But um, yeah, I would, I would, I would have all ten, and, and Edgar be on there. I mean, he was, he talked to the Mariano Riveras. He talked to people who had to face him. Um, he was a force unlike anyone else they had to face in that time. Tyler, uh, t- today's game. I, I saw this today when they were talking about putting a runner on second base in the tenth inning, and they're going to try it out in spring training. We've heard a lot about the amount of visits to the mound, a, a pitch clock. Um, as you see these things, one, is there any traction to any of it? And two, is it necessary? Where do you stand on, on all these different things as far as trying to pick up the pace of play? Well, I think, I think it's, I don't like, I think the runner on second is crazy. Um, you know, I mean, I saw in the world baseball classic and, and I understand in situations where you don't want to encourage or invite 
injury, um, you know, by just, you know, in an exhibition situation, spring training or an all-star game, even WBC, I get it. But I, I do think it's a slippery slope. And once they introduce it, I, I just, I would hate to see it in games that count. I, I just, I think that's, that's, it's a gimmick and a mockery and all that stuff. Um, but I think, I think the pace can be quickened. I think we'd all like to see it quickened a little bit. Um, but really, I think it's all just, um, it's all relatively meaningless uh, compared to just the way the game is played today, right? And the way the game is played now, um, there's such a priority on seeing a lot of pitches and drawing walks and driving up that home base percentage, um, all that stuff, taking disciplined at-bats. And anytime there's a long game, guys, you know, like we all see these games, it's because there's a lot of pitches thrown. There's a lot of walks. I mean, that's that's what happens. A lot of pitches, foul balls, walks, whatever. That's what teams want. That's what gets guys paid. I mean, Carlos Santana is making $20 million now because um, of his great on-base percentage. So if that's the incentive that players have, players will figure out a way to uh, to play the game the owners want them to play, and that's the game now. It's more pitches, and more pitches leads to longer games, period. All the other stuff is, is just incidental to me. There's really – what can you do about that besides pitchers throwing more strikes, right? Right, yeah. But they're afraid to throw strikes in a lot of cases because the hitters are, you know, hitting so many home runs now. So it's 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 kind of just the way the game's evolving. And, and, and the one thing I think, you know, you look at baseball history, there always will be an adjustment of some kind. Um, there's always – that's one thing that's – the more I watch baseball, the more I appreciate how skilled the players really are and that they can, over time um, – you know, find different kinds of skills within baseball to uh, to emphasize. Um, you know, there used to be it used to be a speed game. It's now a strikeout game. It used to be, you know, it's more of a home run game now. Um, they, these players are so good that they'll they'll find a way to, to adjust. Remember, just a few years ago, it was oh my gosh, all the shifting. Um, how are people ever going to hit through the shift? Well, now they learned how to hit over the shift. So there will be a counter adjustment in time. But for now, it's such a power game, um, and I don't know. I think that just happens organically. I, I, you know, you can limit. I thought Rosenthal's story the other day on, on how much science stealing is really going on because the video was interesting, and obviously that gets to the, the mound visits. Um, maybe you can cut down the mound visits, but again, guys, it all just has to do with how many pitches and how many walks there are and, and the long at-bats and stuff like that. Visiting with writer Tyler Kepner of the uh, New York Times, national baseball writer now, and uh, tell us your thoughts about the Mariners. Uh, I, I thought Jerry's done a heck of a job trying to get this club back into contention, back to the postseason, where obviously they want to get uh, Ryan Healy's going to be at first base. Dee Gordon was going to now be out in center field. Juan Nicasio down to the bullpen. What are your thoughts about uh, the way the Mariners are shaping up this year? Yeah, I, I mean, I think everybody in baseball really admires the the, uh, the effort that, that Jerry takes with this roster to, to, to really try to maximize um, – you know, the, these pillars of the, of the team, you know, you got guys like Cano and Cruz and Seager and, and, and even Felix um, who've been there for so long um, and are getting up there in age, but they're still mostly productive and you got to try to seize that moment. And he's trying, um, you know, the, the early moves to Healy and Gordon, I was like, all right, we're in for another really, really busy Mariner winter like we've had before. And then it kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, you know, I'd still like to see another starter there and, and, and maybe, Maybe this will happen. I mean, there's still plenty of good starters out there in free agency. Everybody's just waiting for one to come off the board um, and see where their prices, uh, how their prices shake out. So um, I, I would not be confident going into the season with um, with this rotation, but um, but I do like the offense a lot, and um, I think if they can add another starter, and I know they added Leak late last year, which 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 counts. Um, 
but I'd like to see another starter before I can really uh, embrace them again. I feel like I pick them every year, maybe just because I want them to win because <laughs> it's been so long, the longest drought in sports now, um, and I know what an amazing baseball town that is um, or that can be. Uh, so I really would love to see it, but um, I need to see more pitching there, more starting pitching to really uh, to really buy in. How do you look at the division right now, the AL West? Yeah, it's 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 tough um, because Houston is just so good, and they're not going away. Um, when they go out and get a Garrett Cole, and they return a, a staff that doesn't have anybody except for Verlander, um, who threw, you know, who who threw a ton of innings last year. I mean, somehow they were able to win the World Series without having um, any starters of their own pitch, uh, you know, 160 innings. So what that tells me is, even though they had an extra month, it's not like I'm going into it expecting these guys to break down because um, they don't have a lot of tread on, on on those arms. So, And, of course, their offense is great. And, and what makes the Astros so tough, as you guys know, is, is just that they don't strike out. You know, to lead the league in slugging and have the fewest strikeouts is really, really hard to do. Um, but they did it, and, and that makes them really tough, and they're young and everything. So so they're, they're a team that's not going anywhere. But the Angels and, and Rangers are, are kind of similar to the Mariners. I think the Mariners are probably a little better. Um, but, you know, we'll see what Otani is. Um, all these teams are still kind of going for it. I mean, in Oakland, you know, they're building back now. Um, but Seattle, Anaheim, and, and Texas are all still in that win-now mode, um, but they're all, I think, well behind Houston at this point. As in with Tyler Kepner. Tyler, uh, you grew up in Philadelphia. You wound up here in Seattle and covered, like I said, the Angels and now the Mets, Yankees, National Baseball. What, what do you remember about your – your days here in Seattle with the uh, the PI. Uh, well, I, I remember it as one of the happiest years of my life. Really, um, I was there a year and four months. I met my wife. Um, I lived right downtown in Belltown. You know, just walk everywhere and had a view of Elliott Bay from my apartment. Um, it, it was on the 18th floor. I mean, it was just it was just magic. Really, I mean, it was the year that the team moved from the Kingdom to Safeco Field in the middle of the year. So, you know, you really had two vastly different ballparks um, <laughs> yes. to, to report. To, that's an understatement, right? Um, you know, to, 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 you know, call your home, your home team's uh, park. Um, so that was a neat experience. And so many personalities on that team, maybe just because I was really only there one full year, but everything stands out so sharply. Um, I miss Randy Johnson by a year, although I got him in New York a couple of years. Um, but you had Griffey and you had A-Rod and Edgar and Buner and Segui and Moyer and just so many, you know, Freddie Garcia as a rookie and, of course, Pinella, John McLaren and Pat Gillick and Woody Woodward and, and uh, again, a GM transition that year too. Um, you know, the end of the Griffey era, uh, the first go-round, um, which was a lot of controversy and, and just knowing Junior and knowing how to – forge a relationship with him, uh, which is not easy at the start, but ended up being very strong. Um, just I learned so much um, on the job, you know, being able to work with people like Art Teal and Dan Rayleigh and, um, you know, just some great people at the PI. It was just a tremendous year. I mean, I go on and on about it, but it's um, one of the best years of my life personally and professionally. Well, I tell you what, uh, this was a great uh, launching pad for you for your uh, writing career. You're one of the best in the business. We're so happy for you. I'm very proud of you as well, and uh, it's always great to catch up and talk a little baseball with you, Tyler. So thanks a lot for joining us tonight here in uh, Hot Stove. We appreciate it. Yeah, really happy to. Always, uh, again, a lot of fun memories of Seattle, and uh, you know, hope to see some postseason baseball out there. It's, oh. it's, it's about time. 
We would love to see it, hopefully this year. Tyler, thanks a lot. We appreciate it, buddy. I'll see you guys soon. All right. Tyler, Tyler Kepner from the uh, New York Times, and we're going to be back with our trivia question to wind up the first hour, first of two here on Hot Stove. We'll be back with the trivia question right after this. Hey, everybody, buy more and save. Discounted tickets are available for groups of 20 or more. Flexible seating options, private hospitality, and picnic packages are all available to complete your group stay at the ballpark. For more information and to book your 2018 group date visit, mariners.com slash groups. First hour of two winding down for a hot stove. Rick Riz along with Mike Blowers, Gary Hill, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen. Here's our trivia question for the night to wind down the first hour. And uh, here it is. James Paxton last year fanned 156 hitters. The last time a Mariners lefty struck out over 150 hitters was 1998 when three lefties did it. Name one of the three lefties back in 1998. The winner's going to receive a Mariner 2018 fitted clubhouse cap in navy blue. Call toll-free. The number is 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. Again, those numbers, toll-free, 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. Name the last time a Mariner lefty struck out over 150 batters in a season. It was 1998. Three guys did it. Name one of the three. And guys, talking about left-handers, James Paxton, what a year for James last year. Even though he was on the DL a couple of years, this guy really came into his own. I, I thought that he did. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year. Look, you can see the talent there. He, he's And, Gary, you and I talked about it a lot. When you just look at velocity from lefties that are even yeah. starters or relievers, it doesn't seem to matter. He, he's towards the top of that list. And, and, you know, quite frankly, it's just a matter of him staying healthy and, and taking the ball every fifth day for a season. If he's able to do that. He will be in the Cy Young talk, I think. He'll be right there at the top of the list. He's impossible to hit. I mean, you'll watch him, that velocity. He's almost touching you by the time he gets yeah. through with his follow-through. I mean, he It's he an easy amazing. 97, too. Yeah, it really is. And, and I think one of the things, too, just to see him at the end of the game still yeah. throwing 97, yeah. that's exactly. a rare thing. Yeah, yeah. coming from over the top, a little more three-quarters. Velocity went from 94-95 up to 97-98, even to 100. So, Give us a call. James Paxton, fan 156 last year. Last time a Mariner lefty struck out over 150 hitters was 1998 when three guys did it. Name one of the three. Again, the numbers to call 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. You're going to get yourself a fitted 2018 clubhouse cap in Navy. We're getting ready for the second hour of Hot Stove with Mel Stottlemyre Jr. So stick around for more Hot Stove tonight. Welcome to the Hot Stove. Going and going. Goodbye, baseball. Nelson Cruz. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. The Kings 1-2 swing and a miss. He gets them whiffing on a changeup. Let's fire up the Hot Stove and talk some Mariners baseball. Here's your host, Rick Riz. Welcome back, everybody. The first hour of Hot Stove just flew by with General Manager Jerry DePoto and also writer Tyler Kepner. Now we're going to visit with uh, Mel Sotomayor Jr. along with James Paxton in just a moment. However, let's get to the trivia question. Once again, the question was, James Paxton last year fanned 156 hitters. Name the last time or uh, the last time a Mariner lefty struck out over 150 hitters was 1998 
when three lefties did it, name one. So for the trivia answer tonight, let's go to the audio vault. The big guy is ready to come back with a one-two pitch and a one-two pitch. Swing and a miss. He's done it. Randy Johnson has braved the eighth inning. And he has just struck out his 11th man. An amazing performance by the big unit. Love that call. But one of the greatest of all time, Dave Niehaus, uh, the one-two pitch. Randy Johnson, indeed one of the three lefties to strike out over 150 hitters back in 1998. Randy Johnson uh, struck out 213. The other two guys, Jeff Becero, struck out 176. The other lefty, also Jamie Moyer with that blazing fastball, <laughs> struck out 158. He had that changeup to go along with it. The winner of the Mariners 2018 Fitted Clubhouse Cap in Navy is uh, Steve Sires from Bothell. Way to go, Steve. The cap is made out of Shadow Tech Heather uh, material and features the Trident logo on front and the American logo, logo on the side, available at all Mariners team stores. So congratulations to Steve Sires from Bothell, our winner tonight. Mike, you knew that. Gary, you knew that. One of three lefties did it in 1998. Randy, obviously, the great Randy Johnson. Yeah, you bet. I saw a lot of those. Um, Jamie, amazing. You mentioned the changeup. Uh, it, it's it's interesting to to think of the two. Um, and Jeff Facero, by the way, former Montreal Expo. Yeah. It was with the Mariners for a while. A great split for Facero. But I just think about Randy and Jamie and how completely opposite yeah. from stature to fastball to the way they went about their business, but both just terrific pitchers in their own right. I, I had the Facero highlight ready just in case. I think we should hear it since, yeah. since Flo's in. Let's go. And Facero looking down, and the left-hander is ready. The delivery on the way to him. Swing and a pop-up, and he should have it. Foul territory blowers over near the stands. He's got it, and Jeff Facero has his second major league shutout and a gem. There you go, Blow. Easy play for you, Blow. A little pop-up to end the game. I'm just glad I didn't disappoint Dave that I did catch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great answer. I'll tell you what, Facero in 1997 really had a heck of a year, and he pitched one of the guttiest games I've yeah. ever seen in the postseason. We lost the first two games to Mike Messina and the Orioles and had to go to uh, come back and, and win at least one game to keep it going. It was the best of uh, five, and, and he beat the Orioles in, in game three. Yeah, and, and Mucina was unhittable. Yeah. He was terrific. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was it was a good series, but Jeff Jeff was a big part of that team in 97, and he was really he, he was the ace for the Expos for a while there. He was one of the best pitchers in the National League before he yeah. came over to Seattle, so a very good left-handed pitcher. What I will remember about Jeff Becero is my first time at Fenway Park in my life in the stands as a fan watching Jeff Becero go the distance against the Red Sox. Two-hitter, just giving up a run. It was sensational. Not an easy thing to do in no. that ballpark against, no, against that, that lineup. Team? Yeah, that was great. Yeah, no, it was uh, – it's it's not something you saw very often, but it was incredible. It was fun to watch. First time at Fenway. Yeah, he was something to be around at that time, and uh, that was a lot of fun. The guy could just flat out and pitch. What was it like playing behind those guys? Um, it was it was different. Obviously, with with Randy, I I needed a lawn chair. <laughs> didn't didn't get a lot of action with with, with Randy out there. Um, 
I would say this, though. Mr. Snappy, as a third baseman, when he was throwing that pitch, it was critical for me to know when he was going to throw it to a right-hander because I had to basically guard the line because if they hit it hard, it was going to be right down the line or just foul. Right. So I would cheat towards the line, but that didn't happen very often. Um, with Jamie, you were busy with that change-up, and, and the lineup's typically loaded up with right-handers, so a lot of change-ups. And so um, that was a day you come to the ballpark knowing you're going to get a chance to play quite a bit and, and be involved, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, Again, Jamie Jamie was somebody for me all the time, just his ability to just do the simple thing. When you do, and we're going to talk to Mel Stottlemyre here, and, and you know, you'll hear some of it from him, but throw strikes, change speeds, change eye levels, pitch inside. Jamie could do all of that with an 85-mile-an-hour fastball. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? He also, this is something that people forget. Randy, I knew, we were in the minor leagues together with the Expos, and, and Randy was throwing 100 miles an hour out of USC. You know, once he was able to – Find the strike zone at 610, um, you know, he, he was going to strike out a lot of people, which he did in his career, was going to be a great pitcher. And he's always had that tenacity even at, at, at that young age for all of us. But but for Jamie, I, I think he's, he's a great lesson because it didn't come easy for him. Randy kind of shot through, was traded to the Mariners, and was automatically that guy for the Seattle. It took Jamie a little while um, to figure things out and, and a lot of disappointments. But once he was able to figure it out, uh, just a career that – I don't think anybody could imagine for him for as long as he pitched. It was 26 years of the big leagues. Yeah. He, he told me a story, Gary, that, you know, when he was with the Cubs, they said, you know, maybe you ought to think about being a coach. And he said, coach? He said, I, I, got a few more, <laughs> I, I got a few more years left in me here. He ended up pitching about 25, 26 years in the big leagues. As a matter of fact, he's one of the few guys in Major League history, maybe the only guy, to win a game at the age of 49 when he was with the Colorado Rockies. Yeah. His final year. He won two games. When we went to Denver to play the Rockies, I went to him in his locker, and I saw a couple of champagne bottles there because, you know, he won a couple of games at the age of 49 or at the age of 50. Yeah, we talked about Edgar, too, getting all the Hall of Fame votes. I thought it was nice to see Jamie get some Hall of Fame votes as well. Just a nice tribute to 280-something wins. Yeah, he wasn't going to the Hall of Fame, but I think think it's great that he can can – Say I got Hall of Fame votes. It's a nice tribute for you know, you know the talking about the two. I, I, it just it just dawned on me. I, I can I can share two stories revolving around the two of them that involved me, and Randy, of course, the intimidator on the mound, throwing a hundred miles an hour, yelling at people. That whole thing was a big part of his game. And Jamie, let's say, was crafty, right? He's a crafty left-hander. Exactly. Sure. So when I ended up getting traded away and came back to play against the Mariners, and I was facing Randy. The night before, I saw him, gave him the hellos and talked about it, and, and Randy basically told me that he was he was going to put one in my ribs, right? And, and, and he yeah. said it like he meant it, so I wasn't really sure. And as the game was going on in the kingdom, I'm playing third for the A's, and Randy's standing at the end of the dugout screaming at me. <laughs> of course, the next day he didn't actually do that, but I thought, this is perfect. This is exactly yeah. what he's going yeah. to do, and, you know, it's fine. Um, but he, he, he actually put it in your head. He, he didn't do it. And, and, and you know what? He almost picked me off of first base by running from the mound. I got a base hit into right field, jammed me, a little flare out in, into right. I round the base. The ball comes back in. I'm, I'm laughing um, and just chatting with the first base coach and that, and that kind of thing, but I'm not standing on the base. And he actually took off from the mound and started running at me. And all of a sudden, everybody's looking, and I turn around and look, Here and I, I panicked and got my foot back on the base. And then he just started laughing out there. The other one was in in uh, Oakland when I was playing for the A's, and Jamie uh, was pitching for us. It was a day game, and he comes out there, and I, I think I was either hitting fourth or fifth in the lineup, and he gave up a run right away. Ricky ends up getting on base. He scores a run, and anyway, Jamie's backing at home plate as I'm leaving the on-deck circle to go to hit in the batter's box. 
And Jamie looks at me and he goes, hey, Blow, what do you want? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, what do you want? Nothing's working today. Tell me what you want. I said, 85 down the middle works for me. All change-up strikes me out. Oh, nice guy. Randy intimidated you with a fastball. I'm going to get you and Jamie Boyer. I don't trust that left-hander. No, no, he was crafty. 563 against Randy? Uh, Yeah, I hit him well. Seven ribbies? Yeah, they weren't all they weren't all hit on the button, but I got some hits <laughs> off of them. I mean, seven ribbies is more than full teams had against Randy Johnson. So that's pretty good. That irritated him too. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I don't blame oh, him. That, that's awesome. I didn't realize that. Way to go, Gary Hill. All right, uh, we're going to take a break right now. We're going to be back with the pitching coach Mel Stottlemyre Jr. He's done an amazing job the last couple of years. He's going to do it again this year. We're going to visit with uh, Junior Mel Stottlemyre Jr. as hot stove continues after these messages welcome back hot stove heating up rick riz along with mike flowers gary hill and producer engineer kevin kremen we're going to visit with mariners pitching coach mel stottlemyer jr outstanding job the last uh, couple of years working with 40 count them 40 different pitchers last year 17 different starters was amazing but mel i want to talk to you about something that is uh, near and dear to your heart and you love fishing uh, Stott's Adventures. Folks, I'm telling you, if if you like to fish, contact uh, Mel or one of his guides at Stott's Adventures. Go online, and I'll tell you what, you're going to go to, uh, what's the river in uh, Idaho, Mel, that you're on? That uh, Folks can go there and fish and just have a great time. And right now you're in Tri-Cities, and uh, Kevin just showed me a picture of a huge walleye. I want that thing in your dad's freezer because I want to eat that thing in about a week. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, every year before I go to spring training, my dad and I try to get together on a trip. He uh, unfortunately wasn't able to make it, had to adjust some uh, well, some of his medicines and stuff, so I had to sneak over here and uh, get some of his walleye Okay. that I will gladly share with you. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I talked to your mom tonight, and by the way, she's listening, and so is your dad, so say hi to your mom and dad. Oh, boy, I tell you, she's... Uh, She's better known as Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> and, uh, sometimes we call her chicken, but I, I know she's listening. There's uh, there's not too much hidden around our household. Oh, man. I love your parents. Hey, uh, you have a great story. Before we get into the pitching staff this year, the starters, the bullpen, when you were a kid, your dad took you fishing. He was with the New York Yankees at the time. And you have a great story to tell about going fishing with Mickey Mantle. Can you tell us that story, Mel? With Mickey? Yeah. Yeah, you know, growing up in Yankee Stadium, uh, when we go down to Florida every year, and and, uh, my brothers and I loved to fish, as my dad did. And, you know, it just seemed like there was a lot of ball players that that enjoyed fishing, and I know a lot of them did it in the off-season, but, we got an opportunity to, to fish with, with Mickey and uh, O. Thurman. Uh, Dick, I don't know if you remember Dick Hauser. Oh, sure. And those guys, you know, they, they took a lot of time for my brother and I, and I know a couple times we went, I think my dad didn't even make the trip. So uh, what what a great, you know, what a great life. And, uh, you know, for, for two, two kids, uh, get an opportunity to shag fly balls in Yankee Stadium and down in spring training and then to be able to fish with some of those greats and you know those guys away from the game they're just they're regular people and 
you know, I tried to pass it on to, to my kids and there's lots of things to, to learn, you know, from being in the outdoors and, and to share with people. So always relish those moments. And, uh, you know, to this day, when I get an opportunity to fish with my dad or, or my brother, it, uh, it's still special. Hey, Mel, you know, listen to you talk about your dad and, and, and then thinking about your dad and his career and, and, and looking at today's game. I, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on one um, 200 inning, and your dad went well past that many times, but 200 inning starters in today's game, is that going by the wayside? And if it is, why is that? Well, the game I remember when my dad got out, I think in 2008 or nine, uh, his last year was Seattle. You know, I remember him making a comment to me that, uh, you know, the game the game has changed, and he didn't make the comment. It's for you younger guys. And, you know, as the more time that I've spent in it and kind of watched the uh, the evolution of, of bullpen guys and the amount of money that they get, you know, that those guys are getting paid and what the job entails, it's it's changed. It's switched. You know, there's more guys pitching up in the zone. There's guys that throw harder. They're more violent. They're nasty. Starters are going less and less innings. You know, there's higher number of injuries uh, in the game than there ever has been. Uh, but yet starters are going few in, fewer innings, and, and bullpen guys are getting taxed. So, I think, you know, you look at kind of what's happened uh, with the Seattle Mariners over the last couple of years and with the, the injuries that we've had to our rotation and the amount of money that, you know, we've gone out and spent on really good bullpen pieces. Uh, I think, you know, it's it's becoming more of a common denominator around the game. It's It's hard for us guys that have been around enough, and especially in my household, where you know, we were raised with the mentality of from from pitch one to how many ever we had in the tank that our mindset was to try to start and finish games, and it uh, it sure has switched. So it takes, from a coaching standpoint, it definitely takes some adjustment, and uh, things have really changed over the last five years. That being said, too, you look at your bullpen coming into this year, how excited are you about some of those big arms? that you get to work with every single night? Man, I'll tell you, it's, uh, and I know, you know, I talked to Jerry before and Scott before I left to, to go home for the off season, and uh, they talked about just, just doing that. And, you know, it, it's, we, we obviously, we ran into all the health problems last year, and I think the the rotation that we, uh, that we left out of spring training maybe only gobbled up like 30 or 40% of, of the innings. Uh, so the rest was from guys that have coming up and filling in and uh, guys that we got in trades. And then obviously the rest from our bullpen. So, you know, having a, a young guy like Eddie Diaz in the back of the game, that's still really still learning how to pitch, you know, and, and we all kind of saw some of, some of his little roadblocks and bumps in the road that he went through and, and some of the changes that he's made, you know, he's he's still not a complete guy, but he's electric and he's still learning and he's going to be really, really good. And to add a guy like Nicasio into that mix that, you know, maybe when Eddie struggles, whatever, can take the ball in the ninth or a guy that can give us, uh, 
you know, a lot of innings and a lot of appearances and has done that uh, in, in a big, strong horse. So I'm excited. It, it, it takes the pressure off our starters, you know, and having to, to push them so hard. And hopefully uh, with, with the acquisition of the guys that we made in the bullpen that maybe we won't have to lean as hard on the starters and maybe we can keep them healthy for, for 30 starts or so, which would be big for, for our ball club. Something we really struggled with last year. Yeah, that would be outstanding. Visiting with Mariners pitching coach Mel Stonemeyer Jr. When I talked to you about Felix, uh, this guy has had a remarkable career. The injuries last year, Felix on the DL a couple of times. What are you, What are you expecting out of Felix this year, Mel? And uh, and uh, how do you keep this guy healthy for uh, twenty five, hopefully thirty starts? Yeah, you know, the, I've been with Phoenix for a couple of years, and I've learned a lot about this guy. Uh, I've always respected what he's done in the game and what he has meant to the organization and tried not to, you know, to get too involved with asking him to make too many changes. But, uh, you know, in saying that, I, I think we all understand that, you know, Felix is, is still a great pitcher. He can still win a lot of ball games, but he's not the same guy that he used to be uh, to where he could just wipe guys out with his nasty stuff. He's He's got to pitch. You know, he's got to get ahead and counts. He's got to pitch down on his own. He's got to use his curveball a little more, and he's got to do some things different. Uh, one of the things that I've talked to Felix about going into the offseason is maybe preparing a little bit different in the off season so that when he comes ready in spring training that we can slow and kind of lengthen the process of him getting ready from his first bullpen to his first game that he pitches during the season. In the past, he's had the tendency to kind of start later and just have to ramp things up too quick. And we all know that, you know, when you get some age under, under your belt, that you got to work a little bit harder and, you know, time, time, it takes a little longer to, to get yourself ready. Uh, and you're just, you know, you're not as resilient. Uh, it's, it's just, it's how things work. I mean, the guy's got a lot of miles and a lot of innings under his belt and he can still be a great pitcher. He's just got to do it a little different. So look for him to throw his bullpen you know, in that first three days, in the past, it's been, you know, 10 to 12 days when he started. So we're going to start that process earlier. Uh, looking at our season, you know, with a couple off days early, uh, I think that's going to help guys like Felix and, and Paxson and those guys and give them the time that they need to get ready. But we're going to have our guys probably a little farther along uh, at the tail end of spring training than what we've had the last couple of years. Uh, it's going to be important that we get off to a good start. Absolutely. He's still one of the best competitors I've ever seen. Visiting with Mel Stonemeyer Jr., Mariners pitching coach. We'll be back with Mel as Hot Stove continues after this timeout. Say, friends, add the Safe Cool Feel Suites to your list of places to check out in 2018, whether hosting clients and coworkers or family and friends. You and your guests will enjoy Mariners baseball from the comfort of a private suite. This premium seating option includes game tickets, VIP parking, private skybridge entry, and a catering credit. For more information, visit Mariners.com slash premium. Visiting with Mariners pitching coach Mel Stonemeyer Jr. 
And uh, Mel, last year, 40 different pitchers, 17 different starters. Can you name all your starters? Not a chance. <laughs> Neither can I. What, Neither what can a I. year. You know, I, I was talking to my dad just just watching how this thing unfolded over the course of the season. He just he just shook his head every time I saw him. He said, I've never seen or heard of anything like this. And with a revolving door, and I'll tell you what, credit to the, you know, the front office and Jerry. Uh, we held things together, and, you know, we, we gave it a little bit of a run, and we were missing our horses. So I uh, undoubtedly will be looking forward to a, a healthy rotation and getting David Phelps back and, and the other guys and trying to trying to make a run at this thing. Yeah, it was probably the question that I ended up getting the most to. Have I ever seen anything like this? And the answer was no also. It was unbelievable. But let, let's talk a little bit about one of the guys that I, I felt like at one point last year was the best pitcher in the American League, and that's James Paxson. And, I think, Mel, you deserve a lot of credit for where this kid um, started from and where he's at today. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of James? It seemed like it wasn't that long ago when he was struggling and throwing 92 and having a difficult time to just how electric he was last year at one point in the season and, and, and where this kid is at and where you think he's going to end up. Yeah, you know, there's, uh, there's other guys to give credit to also. You know, I mean, first of all, James, knowing how he prepares himself, uh, how he looks at things. I mean, he's come a long way uh, as a power pitcher. And I know it's taken some time. It was a couple of spring trainings ago. You know, he didn't break with the club. Right. He's very disappointed. He didn't have a great spring. And, uh, you know, he went back to, to AAA. They changed the uh, the arm slot a little bit, dropped him down. You know, he had this real big high front side and really lacked, you know, lacked command with, was really good stuff and was tabbed more more or less as a thrower. So he, uh, I tell you what, last year just kind of watching him uh, take off and gravitate towards some of the things that I thought that he bought into at the tail end of, of the previous year and just the confidence and the way that he, he prepared and went out, and he was dominating the game. He was mm-hmm. one of the best pitchers in the game. And, you know, if, if, if this guy could have stayed healthy, he had a chance to win 18 or 20 games and uh, strike out the world, and he was on pace to do that. So, we've you know, if we can keep this guy healthy, and with him and, and Felix and, and Mike Leake, uh We'll, we'll be a pretty good ball club, but he's he's special, and there's not many like him out there that uh, can absolutely dominate a game when he's on. Well, you mentioned Mike Leake, too, and we've already talked about how there are just fewer and fewer guys that give you 200 innings throughout baseball, but Mike Leake is a guy that's taken the ball 30-plus times year after year after year. How important will he be to this rotation this year? Oh man, I tell you what a what a breath of fresh air when we got him. And I know that he was on a little bit of a uh, skid and a bad run when he was over there in St. Louis. Uh, we came over, we sat down with him, and you know I knew knew Mike a little bit uh, from when he played at Arizona State, and then got to know him uh, through a couple other former ball players and guys that I coached. So we had a little history there. Uh, you know, and this, he's not a big guy in stature, but all he does and his mindset, he's a little bit of a throwback, is he wants to start and finish games. 
fact, there was a couple games, and I know that he was a little bit upset when, when we took him out. Uh, and, and, again, this guy wasn't the healthiest guy last year. Uh, so there were some things that he was going through. But he's uh, he does it quietly, too. He's just the way that he prepares. He kind of stays to himself. He's uh, a great leader. You know, w- one of the things that we did with Mike – or with the rest of the ball club, and I know they've done that over in St. Louis. It was started from Dave Duncan, but you know, when when our guys started were throwing their bullpens, he kind of just got them together, all the young guys and everybody out there to to uh, watch each other's bullpen and learn stuff from them. And 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 there's a lot to be said for that. So uh, I'm a big Mike Leake fan. I, I hope he can get his 200 innings. I think he ended up with 190 something last year and stay healthy, and he did a heck of a job for us when he came over. He's one of the few sinker ball guys that we got and gets, gets outs on the ground. Uh, I like that. And uh, he's got, you know, he's got some pretty good weapons. He's not going to punch the world out, but he's going to get out. He's going to get him on the ground. He's going to pitch the contact, and he's going to keep you in games. Visiting with Mel Stoudemire, Jr., Mariners pitching coach. Mel, Edwin Diaz last year. When you got the ball to Edwin, usually good things happen. He had his ups and downs as well. But you, I reminded myself that just two years ago, this kid was a starter at Double A. Then he comes up, he starts relieving in May a few years ago. It gets cut to the big leagues. A month later, he's the closer on the ball club. Uh, how great a story right. has been Edwin Diaz? And what's it like right now working with this kid? And what's his ceiling? Well, you know, I've watched this guy grow over the last couple of years. But, you know, we all have to remember uh, two things. Number one, the kid's still young. He hasn't really had a guy to mentor him, you know, at the back end or to come up and, and be groomed in a seventh or eighth inning role. He was thrown into the fire. And he's done a hell of a job, uh, by the way, in, in doing that. So he's still learning. And, uh, you know, there's been times that he's hung his head a little bit, but he's got back up on the horse and taken the ball. And, uh, I, you know, I think that last year he learned a lot by getting his butt kicked a few times, and all young players have to go through it at some point in time. And, you know, as coaches and as teammates, we always, you know, when they do get the butts kicked, we like to look and see how they respond to, to getting that butt kicking. And uh, I never, you know, I never saw it really get in his head to where it weighed on him too long. And he he was pretty good at making adjustments. So this guy, you know, has some of the best stuff at the back end in the game of baseball. He's 24 years old. He still learned how to pitch a little bit, but he's going to get better with, with each year and the experience that he gains, you know, from pitching the big leagues. He's only been a reliever for a year and a half, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's still learning his trade. Tell you what, buddy, he's fun to watch. I don't know how you did it last year, but you did it 40, 40, count them, different pitchers. You ran through that clubhouse last year, and they took uh, the mound and uh, 17 different starters. Mel, you were truly uh, incredible last year working with all these guys and keeping the club in contention as long as you were last season. Thanks a lot for being our guest tonight here on Hot Stove. Go out there, catch some more walleye for me. I hope to see you in your dad's freezer here in the next few days because I'm going over to your dad's house next week. I called him up. And, Always uh, a pleasure, man. Always love talking with you guys. And 
and talking baseball and talk, talking Mariners. We'll see I'm you. looking forward to seeing each one in spring training. Can't wait. We'll see you in spring training in the next few weeks, buddy. Thanks so much. All right. Take care, fellas. Mel Stottlemyre, Jr., our guest. Coming up next, we're going to visit with a lefty from Ladner. He's got his own cheering section up there, the Maple Grove, and he's even has uh, the tree up there and everything. We're going to visit with James Paxton as uh, Hot Stove continues. Right after this timeout. Paxton's 1-2. Curveball is a strike three called. Second time Chris Young has been caught admiring the hook from James Paxton tonight. As Paxton has now tied a career best 10 strikeouts tonight against the Red Sox. Yes, indeed. The lefty from Lander, James Paxton, turned into one of the best pitchers in the American League last year. He's our guest tonight here on Hot Stove. Brick Riz along with Gary Hill, Mike Lowers, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen. And, uh, James, uh, tell us, where did you spend uh, the offseason and where are you right now? You weren't in the Seattle area, were you, or Canada? No, I'm not in the Seattle area. Uh, I've been all over the place, actually, uh, mostly between Seattle and uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where my wife and I uh, – Bought a house and are renovating, actually, so it's been a bit of a whirlwind for sure. A little, little chilly this winter there in Wisconsin, Minnesota. You'd be happy to be in Arizona. Right? It was a little bit cold, yeah. we uh, There's lots of snow on the ground. Uh, we actually left there today, and we're in Arizona now, um, kind of getting settled and ready for spring training to start up. So what's the offseason been like for you, buddy? It's been good. We uh, we moved apartments in Seattle, got all that going, and um, we uh, we are renovating our house in Eau Claire. Um, did a lot of stuff with my workout program. Tried some new things. Feeling really good. Um, throwing's been going well. You know, I'm feeling ready to go. James, I always look forward to seeing you in spring training. And, and over the last few two or three years. Um, you've done some different things. One year, you basically changed your entire body and the way that you looked and in an effort to try to stay healthy. What were some of the new things that you're talking about you did this winter to, to try to keep yourself on the mound? Yeah, well, this winter I uh, worked with some people uh, from ATI, uh, Kirk Bradshaw. Um, he does the muscle activation technique, actually some stuff that the uh, Mariners trainers and uh, strength staff are actually being trained in uh, this off season. Um, and he kind of has gone through some patterning in my body to make sure that all the muscles are firing properly and, uh, you know, found that some things weren't firing properly. So we kind of went through everything, made sure everything's working right. And, uh, also he put together a workout program for me that I've been following, um, and, uh, got my body feeling really strong. And then I've also been adding in some stuff from, um, Iron Glenn, who uh, is working with Nelson Cruz. I met him in Miami when uh, Cruz put on his uh, little invitational, if you want to call it, in uh, in Miami where we worked out uh, with the, as a team. Uh, a couple of guys met up, and I've really been enjoying that stuff too. It's uh, much more kind of baseball-specific stuff. I feel like it was good to add that in for the last uh, you know month to uh, get me ready to go for the season here. Did you guys also have a good time in Miami? We had a great time. Yeah, we, we had a lot of fun. Went out to dinner one night and, uh, you know, also went to Felix's house one night for dinner, which was really fun. Uh, fun to see uh, his place and kind of spend some time away from the field, uh, hanging out with him and the rest of the guys. We uh, we really had a great time. You had a chance to see some of the new guys there as well, right? We did, yeah. Uh, D. Gordon was there the first day. Um, Healy was there also. 
really enjoyed those guys. You know, really uh, looking forward to playing with them this season. I think that, uh, you know, D is going to bring a ton of energy. You know, I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, really like Keeley also, just really, really solid guy. I think he's going to be a great addition to the team. Visiting with Mariners pitcher James Paxton. James, uh, it was fun watching you pitch uh, last year. What was the the highlight for you uh, in 2017? Well, you know, for me, I think it was the July uh, stretch that I had, you know, and everything was feeling really good. You know, I was healthy, and uh, we were winning ball games. You know, that's that's the most important thing. So I think we went on a stretch when I was pitching where it seemed like we were winning every time. You know, it was that six uh, – what was it, seven, seven games seven. in a row I think yeah. we won when I was on the mound, and that's, yeah. uh, you know, that was a lot of fun just to go out there and win because uh, that's what we're all about is going out there and, you know, wanting to help the team any way I can and help, help, helping us get the W is uh, the most important thing. What was clicking for you mostly during that stretch run, seven consecutive starts with a win? Uh, you know, everything. My mechanics were working really well. I was able to – I think the biggest thing was I was able to decipher early in the game whether I had my curveball, my cutter, or both, and then be able to use that um, effectively, um, you know, throughout the game from there on. You know, I'd know what pitch was my strikeout pitch that night to go along with my fastball. It seemed like every time I went out during that time period, I had my fastball. And then it was just figuring out which one, um, if not both, of those breaking balls were working well that night. And then – formulating a plan with Z and uh, going to work. James, when you, when you were going through the process, and we talked to Mel before you came on, he was in the last segment, and, and he'd mentioned spring training a few years ago when you end up not making the club out of camp and really struggled through that spring, and, and you'd gone through some mechanical changes. And I've, I've spoke to you a number of times, and I really felt like last year, and I can't remember, it was I think it was maybe after the seven that you'd won in a row, uh, but it was a game where things didn't go particularly well, and I happened to just run into you in the hallway, and you immediately knew mechanically what it was that you needed to fix, and you felt good about it. And I walked away from that just thinking, one, the amount of confidence you had in it, but two, you're in a place where you really understand what you're trying to do and what you need to do to go out there and be successful. But it's, it's taken a little bit of time. Absolutely. You know, I think that uh, especially with that mechanical change, um, you know, the year before last season, I felt like I was just kind of getting started feeling that delivery and uh, trying to make it more consistent. And then last year, I really felt confident in that uh, in that delivery, and I felt like it was much more consistent. And when I wasn't in that, I could tell. And, uh, you know, as soon as I went through a kind of a rough stretch there, I think it was um, August where I kind of had a, had a rough go. And... Um, I, I got some help from, from Mel. You know, we were just watching video, and we were able to pick it up pretty quickly. You know, I could tell something is wrong. Sometimes I can't figure out exactly what it is, but as soon as we see the video, it was it was pretty uh, easy to make that adjustment because I, in doing this new, new uh, mechanical move, I've been able to feel my body better through space and uh, make adjustments more quickly. So heading into this season, what are the expectations for yourself? You know, my expectation for myself is uh, to stay healthy. You know, that, that's my number one goal is uh, to stay healthy this season. I've done, I feel like, everything I can possibly do to uh, give myself, um, you know, the the opportunity to stay healthy. And, 
you know, I can't promise myself results. I can't promise any of that. Any, I can't promise wins. But, uh, you know, I can promise myself that I'm going to give it everything I've got um, on every pitch that I throw. And that's, uh, you know, what I'm focused on. Visiting with Mariners pitcher James Paxton here on Hot Stove. And, James, one of the one of the fun things about last year when you pitched is the first time I saw your cheering section up there in the upper deck in left field called the Maple Grove. And there was a maple tree up there. And, by the way, you know the name of it, right? They named The it. maple tree? Yeah. The, There's a name for it up there? Believe it or not, the name is <laughs> Stick Riz. <laughs> yeah. So you and I are intertwined with those branches up there, that maple tree. But uh, it was. That is awesome. How about that? Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> I love it. Felix has King's Court. You have the maple grove. When did you first find out about that because i know you got to know those fans up there and take pictures with them with uh, uh stick riz the tree <laughs> i did yeah it was uh it must have been july when they started putting that together um started noticing uh you know the a cards out there which were a lot of fun uh, you know hearing those guys yelling a a a and uh, they set up the whole maple grove sign and they decided they want to put that tree out there for them. And, uh, you know, it was really special to actually meet those fans that put that all together um, last season before uh, one of the games, you know, brought them out some maple bars to say thanks. Autograph. It was really great to, to meet those people. It was, it, was, it was really fun. It was a lot of fun. It's great watching you pitch uh, last year. I can't wait to see you on the mounted spring training. And throughout the 2018 season, it's going to be a, it's going to be an outstanding year with James Paxson on the mound. James, Thank thanks you. for I'm joining. Looking forward, to it. looking forward to it as well. All right, we can't wait to see it spring training. Thanks for joining us tonight, buddy. Absolutely, looking forward to seeing you guys. All right, James Paxton here on uh, Hot Stove. We're going to be back with more to wind things down here in the second hour, right after this timeout. Single game tickets are on sale now, which means you can lock in your seats to some of the biggest games of the year, including opening night, kids' opening day, fireworks nights, and big matchups against the Yankees, Dodgers, and more. Get ready for Mariners baseball at Safeco Field when you visit Mariners.com for tickets. Can you believe the month of January is over at midnight tonight? First month of the year flew by, getting ready for spring training. Here it is January 31st, and Gary... I wanted to ask you first. Uh, yeah. Does Stick Riz stay at your house in the off season? Is that how that works? Uh, it's in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, I dug a big hole, put Stick Riz back in there, and then uh, bring it out to the ballpark. Nice. Can you believe that? That's, the That's great. The uh, Stick. They, out of all the I never knew that. Could, uh, yeah. Out of all the names they could have picked, you know. I love the idea yeah. of you driving it to the ballpark every time he pitches. I like that. Uh, I don't know where they. <laughs> I wonder where they put that thing. Uh, you know. Every five days, when James gets ready to pitch, and then they got to haul that thing up uh-huh. to the uh, upper deck and left field. That's that's amazing. The Maple Grove in A is E H. You know, out there every strikeout for for James, being from uh, Ladner. Yeah, let's just have him healthy this year oh. and, and see how big that section is going to get when he rolls into August and has a chance to win a Cy Young award because he's been able to stay healthy. That's how talented he is. Yeah. Uh, you heard Mel say it too. He, he was, if not the best, he was one of the best pitchers for. A pretty good stretch of last year. Just He just has to be able to stay out there for his 30 starts. He was the, uh, what, in April, the pitcher of the week or pitcher of the month in April. He got off to that great oh. start, and then the injury, and then he came back and pitched great again, and then he had that stretch drive in July where he had seven consecutive starts where he won. His ERA was under two for the better part of the season. He wound up, I think, what, 2.28 uh, for the year with 156 strikeouts. 
But man, I'd love to see him make 30, 32 starts. Oh, and, that'd be a game and lead this lead this uh, starting staff. I mean, his numbers would be ridiculous. Oh, I mean, he got 100 over 150 Ks last year in 136 innings. Yeah, I mean, he was dominant. What As a hitter, you just don't see it. I was just gonna ask no. You, that. you don't see it. Uh, they're obviously going to, to stack the lineup with right-handers. Don't blame him for that with as hard as he throws, especially with that arm angle at where he's at right now. Um, and, and, I, and I don't know why, but it just seems, I know for myself, I, I could face guys um, that would throw, you mentioned Randy, that throw in the upper 90s touch 100 miles an hour. Um, but there's something about James watching this. Not just the velocity is there, but I think it's just how easy he makes it look that it yeah. gets on guys, and they're just so late on his fastball because at the major league level, it really doesn't matter how hard you throw. He's one of the few guys, I think, that can consistently throw his fastball. Um, one of the things, for me, one of the big steps he made was his ability to pitch inside to right-handers with confidence and authority, um, and it just makes those guys, they have no chance. Uh, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about his cutter and his uh, breaking ball, his curveball, and he bounces that pitch a lot, but you have to cheat so much to try to catch up to his fastball. You see guys chase it in the dirt all the time. Uh, It'll be interesting to see where he goes. You could tell by just talking to him. I'm sure the fans could too that he's so well prepared, and I think going through those struggles that he talked about just a few years ago and trying to find a way um, made him feel like he, he had to do that. And now all of a sudden, his velocity goes from 92, 94 to 97 to 100. Yeah. Um, it, it's a game changer for everybody, and we saw that last year. So we've talked a lot about it, uh, Rick, over the last few years and the injuries to the pitching staff, and it's all there. But as you mentioned, we're going to February 1st tomorrow, spring training right around the corner. Uh, these guys need to stay healthy and, and just see what they have in, in all of them, really. And, and I'd love to see it for Felix, too. We all know how important he has been to this team. And, and Felix, if he can go out, and it's more than just his ability to get hitters out. It's just what he means to the staff and then knowing that he's there every fifth day because we saw the difference when he wasn't there. Um, it wasn't just him getting people out. is what he meant to everybody else. So they just it would be nice to see what they're able to do if they're all healthy because everybody likes their lineup and their bullpen. Yeah. Can these guys do it? We'll see. And the thing about James Paxson, too, Gary and Mike, is that besides the stuff, what he can do on the mound is that Every five days, you know he gives that bullpen a chance to take a little bit of a breather. Yeah. You know, because he's going to go out there and well, give you those seven. And I think Gary made a good point talking about having Leak in the, in, in the rotation, too. You're not going to think too much until all of a sudden you look up, and there he is out there in the seventh, eighth inning again because that's what he's done in his career. That, that's a big-time pickup. You didn't think much of it at the end of last year, but that's a big-time pickup because of this year. Uh, it's, and it's it looms even bigger now when you look at modern baseball and looking at the amount of innings guys throw. That's that could be huge. He's huge. Looking forward to the lefty from Lander out there along with Felix and all the guys. Spring training right around the corner in just a couple of weeks. That winds up two hours of hot stove. I'm Rick Riz along with Gary Hill, Mike Blowers, producer engineer Kevin Kremener. Thanks to Mariners general manager Jerry DePoto. Writer Tyler Kepner from the New York Times joined us tonight. James Paxton and Mariners pitching coach Mel Stottlemyre Jr. We will see you one week from tonight at 7 o'clock. For more hot stove baseball coming your way as we get ready for the 2018 season. Good night, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 